Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we discuss the Taoist idea of the nine obstacles to our development. Yoli, insecurity, shame, and belief as an antidote to facing your fears and overcoming them. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra. Spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. <sighs> Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So we like to do these episodes in little sequences. We like to kind of keep a flow going episode to episode. And uh, the last episode Daniel and I had a chance to record together was really about my breakup with Christianity breaking up is hard to do but the episode ended up being a little bit more about really going through periods of what you might call psycho-spiritual transition and coming out and really thinking about what you learn from that and the reasons that you enter into that and the and like uh, what those experiences are like so I, I you know daniel had written it with the idea i'd started in with the idea of like oh let me just talk about this one issue but like a lot of things happen this way you realize yeah learn more as you're talking or i was learning more when i was putting my notes together and i was like no this is really about just going through some window of change you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's like yeah i think so we that use, got we use the term that, windows of transition last time yeah we, yeah i think that's it right mm -hmm. it's funny i went to a party over the weekend that was really interesting so you know a little carl jung synchronicity working in our favor as it often does mm-hmm but it was a friend who threw a party and it was like a small group of people. Uh, Chicago has been really snowy and cold. So maybe it was going to be a small group anyways. Maybe two people didn't show up, but for the most part, his intention of we wanted to be there showed up. Mm. And, um, and then at some point he wanted to sit down and have everybody talk about some point of transition in their life. And I went, get the fuck out of town. Mm. I wasn't fully prepared for it, but we had just done the episode. So I was prepared. <laughs> and then it turned out that people were wearing clothes that they thought represented like different times in their life. So I was like, this is amazing. And I heard some stories of people's own sort of periods of transitions and overcoming obstacles, which is one of our themes of the show for today. Obstacles to be overcome. And uh, so I thought I have at least one I can share that's like a mind blower. I'll share it when we get to the appropriate spot. But mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's a nice spiritual flow to just do an episode about that and then have in a weird, in a very weird, I'd never been at a party where anyone did something like that. They just had everybody around in the group and they just said, okay, we're going to go one by one. And we're going to tell some period in our life where we transitioned. And I thought, well, this is super interesting. And people went one by one around the group, you know, mm. like a, you know, there's like a circle and people were talking and I thought this is kind of amazing. And I, you know, it was really imposed upon, the party by this friend who said, I'm going to like take it to this place. But I thought that's fascinating. So anyways, that's cool. That yeah, it's very cool. Um, so we're going to talk about a thing that clicked in my mind when I was trying to share my own tale, which is this thing from Taoism called the nine obstacles. And I realized, I think when I was, we were recording that episode, 
I realized kind of going into the episode, like, yeah, I was realizing these obstacles and trying to figure out ways of overcoming them for myself in that period of my life. Right. It seemed like a cool thing to just kind of present the Taoist idea of this. But before we do it, uh, we had also promised people that Daniel would share his own story. But when, uh, you know, when we talked to Mike, Daniel, you were more like, hey, I feel like I already did this. So yeah. I thought I thought I'd throw the mic out to you just for a second or two, you know, just on that point. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if we, if I think it might've been during the recording, but if not, we've talked about it afterwards, but I think we more I, talked about it off camera. So I don't know if people okay. actually. Yeah. I feel like on the episode, uh, not enough Jesus that was where I laid that out pretty, pretty clearly, pretty succinctly. I, I'm actually, you know, I, I mean, I love all the episodes that we do really, but there's some that are, like maybe maybe nearer and dearer to you know our heart and you know in terms of like our ability to successfully express ourselves you know it with you know being concise and clear right and giving and giving it enough it's difficult to put feelings into words you know especially deeper parts of our life and and I was you know actually very proud of myself for how I brought that up and it kind of came up a little bit naturally and um the way in which I was able to communicate it. So for me, I didn't feel any more need to adjudicate it that. So uh, for those who haven't listened, um, the episode, not enough Jesus is, is, uh, is, is where you could find is where you could find that, but it's a good episode overall, not just because, you know, I, I gave that story, but it's a, it is an interesting one. Yeah. I think it was very much like a spontaneous kind of thing for you, the way you mm -hmm. like things mm -hmm. and the way it sounded to me. And it was one of those ones where I like, I I was like uh, I appreciated the conversation in the sense like yeah I think the exact same kind of a thing you know mm -hmm. it was more like the way you thought about that spiritual figure just transformed for you right yeah, yeah. and uh, you know tantra a lot of times especially Buddhist tantra is about transforming right so you transform yeah. the feeling and I think we're gonna maybe try to use that riff of transformation here mm. the video of this thing might look kind of funny it's never happened before but I muted <laughs> and I tried to take a sip quick sip of water and it went down the wrong pipe. Ah, so you're talking about this and I'm like, but like muted. So anyways, weird but video. If you're, if you're only doing audio, you would have no you idea. You wouldn't even know that. But That's the video right. is like me going, but Daniel's giving this beautiful explanation. <laughs> I like yeah, that. Packing up a lung in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so my, <clears throat> my own little tale on this brought up this idea of these nine obstructions. Or nine obstacles, I should say. Yeah. Because, no. um, you know, again, those uh, those seem to be things I was realizing and recognizing. Just to give a little context for those things, they're kind of a Taoist tool. They get referenced kind of in the Taoist world. We have someone in our Chinese medical field, Jeffrey Yuan, and he's just kind of dropped them into lectures just spontaneously at times because he's a Taoist priest as well as a TCM person. So they'll sometimes just pop up at times when Taoists are hanging around <laughs> mm. and you know again I was listening to Jeffrey Wen talk at one time and he just started rattling them off and I was like those are those nine obstructions you know and he was just kind of sharing them spontaneously and yeah Eric, uh, uh, nine obstructions and just for clarity purposes nine obstructions in in front I should probably say obstacles it's translated that way in English but anyway it doesn't matter nine but. obstacles in front of what um blocking people towards in this Taoist book blocking people towards sort of spiritual improvement realization psycho-spiritual development obstacles to that there was in that book but probably you could frame it even bigger like things that will hold you back in life probably okay okay 
um, only because it, it came up on the episode with uh, Dr. Rory Hiltbrand, which is the couple episodes previous to this one when you were when you were on meditation retreat. He said something. I'm not sure if you've listened to it, and if the audience has, you know, it was there was a really nice moment towards the end of the episode where we were talking about self development because he's a Taoist and you know he's in this lineage and everything else. And he said for him that the idea of like self development has developed more into an act of devotion. That's what his change has been. And you know we're always talking about enlightenment and and development of of various aspects of ourselves or our beingness. Uh, and I just really like that shift in perspective, you know, because it is uh, maybe highlighting more the manifestation of divinity and our interaction with it as the, and our work then meditatively or compassionately, or, you know, however you want to call that via our practice or via our ourselves, our own, our own lives is an act of honoring that divinity within all of us so it becomes an act of devotion so you mentioned that i just wanted to bring oh, that up because so i thought that was the idea of like yeah I, I came right out of the retreat right into the full part of my semester so yeah plan on listening to that would probably be during this week or something so i haven't sure, fully yeah. caught up with that yeah but um so he was saying like it's a devotion almost to sort of your own inner Tao or something like that it's yeah a, yeah partially a self-devotion thing yeah yeah i had like some ideas in that probably like when I was putting, you know, my version of the notes together for this, I had some ideas of talking about that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So probably pop up here too. Like, nice. and we'll see how it all like comes together. Yeah. You know, you might have more to say about it, obviously from what, you know, he says, but yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Um, on the Jeffrey Yuen thing and him just dropping this into lectures about Chinese medicine, we're going to be talking a little bit about like stages of the path kind of stuff here too, this mm -hmm. kind of idea of Lamrim and, you can think, see people, once people internalize something, it'll just naturally kind of like pop out. So it might be the case that as we go through these nine obstacles, if they kind of like stick with you, then they'll just start to be part of like who you are kind of. And that's an interesting stage of things too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, all right. So we thought it would be a cool idea just to share these things. You get to all ponder them. We'll give our own sense of each of these individually always welcome to other people's opinions too if you want to share later on as uh daniel always talks about the at the end of every episode but um it's based on the, the way i found them was from this taoist text called the chung le chuan dao chur i uh this gets translated by eva wong which is the translation i have in the english yeah as the teachings of the dao so the dao in this is like the dao of taoism the source of everything in taoist thought Transmitted, transmitted by these two characters, Chung and Le. And uh, I imagine we'll probably do something on the whole text at some point because we haven't done a ton of Taoism. Yeah. So I thought we won't maybe do the whole thing because there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. And we, I, it's it's cool been a couple. This one part. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's been a couple of years since I've read that. So I, I don't mind going circling back, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, yes. It's really deep. It's really deep. There's a lot of stuff potentially to talk about. Yeah. So maybe we'll come back to it, but mm -hmm. um, just for like a little bit of context about it, it's a dialogue between two of these characters that are sort of the Taoist eight immortals. So there's like two of the eight and um, presumably they lived hundred years, hundreds of years apart, but they're immortals. So they swung this conversation <laughs> and uh, they're just talking Taoism as Taoists do in these books. Um, it's a kind of a chemical Taoist book. And then towards the end of it, they're having a discussion of like what they call obstacles and monsters 
So I know if we'll do these 10 monsters at some point too. Uh, I guess I'll see what you think, Daniel, you know, but they're really about, those are a little bit more about things that happen specifically during meditation where the oh, yeah. obstacles are more things like that happen, like in the course of sort of your life or something that will hold you back. So, um, well, anyway, I, yeah. I know, I, I think we should. And, and just before you go, I think reason, reason being is that like, for me, when, when people want to make life change, which I'm fortunate enough to help people do this in, in my practice, that it is much getting through your own process is much like a meditation in that you are going to have to face your own inner whatevers, you know, and that those would be the same as if you were sitting in a meditation. And because the fact that people's attention spans are, are even less than they were, you know, even 15 years ago or 10 years ago, that, meditating now is probably in my opinion more important than it, than it's ever been to kind of counteract the sort of tiktok and you know shorts age of of social media and mentioning potential obstacles for people can highlight some of their own inner psyche kind of unconscious archetypes however you want to call it right these deep layers of blockages along the way towards transformation even if it's not inside of a on, a on a meditation pillow, but somebody wants to make a change in their career, I mean, significant change that requires effort over a longer period of time, that those things I think stand in the way, even if someone is not, you know, meditating on a regular basis, but it's still a meditative process. Yeah, so I don't mind doing it. I'll pop something together about these 10 monsters. It's no big, it's not a big deal for my side. You know, if you feel like interested in it, you know, once we yeah. do this, one, that's cool with me. And it's yeah. again, it's a lot of stuff that like kind of pops into your head when you sit and you start self-reflecting where your mind yeah. kind of runs off and they yeah. call those monsters for this obstacles are a little bit like for people making life change they're like right on point though you know mm -hmm. they're really like okay this is the stuff that you're probably going to face mm -hmm. um i got kind of a particular backstory with them um back in the day pre-pandemic i was running these classes on uh kind of ch traditional chinese medicine and alchemical treatments for spiritual development that was something that you and I really bonded over, right? That was, yeah. Those, those One things. of many things, but yes. Yeah. And uh, we both shared this similar like passion for this, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. it was, I think it was a lot of times the combined thing of like, you're being passionate about this encouraged me to go out and do a lot of this stuff too, to become, you know, more, uh, more uh, uh, forward in, uh, <laughs> in mm -hmm. trying to share some of this stuff because mm -hmm. uh, we shared the passion for it. Um but it was like kind of a weird thing. It was hard to to give people ways of trying to think about how people are progressing. How do you know that someone's progressing? How do you start to look at people progressing? And I wanted to use the Buddhist stuff, the Buddhist tantric stuff. But the you know the stages of the path in Buddhism already kind of assumes that you're in this certain headspace. It doesn't start until you're already thinking, okay, there's reincarnation. I need to work on my life, not just for now, but for future lives. So that's the start of the Buddhist right. path. Right. And it wasn't very useful to talk that way because most Americans aren't thinking that way. Correct. Well, yeah, most yeah, of so them in general. It wasn't handy. Yeah. Yeah. That's not in the lexicon of uh, <laughs> popular conversation. No. So it was like, well, this isn't going to work. So I thought, well, maybe these nine obstructions were a way of trying to like get us as clinicians being able to look at people to go, okay, they're rehandling these obstacles, these lives in their own lives in different ways. That's showing their progress. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Actually- maybe that's kind of a like a, a, a way of starting to think about that. How do we know if people are really changing? Well, they're handling these things differently. Before you move on, even there was a popular song called YOLO, right? 
That was some of our episodes called YOLO. <laughs> right. I mean, but we were making fun of that. But like, that's the conversation. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's uh, that's the conversation that that's far more popular, you know? Oh, do you, you only live once? Oh, right. that's right. I right. I mean, go. that's literally I love the reincarnation thing. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine Bobby T going, you only live infinity. Right. Infinity yeah, times. Right. Robert Thurman. Yeah. <laughs> you only live infinity. Yoli. <laughs> Yoli. <laughs> yeah um so i think that was sort of like the idea at the time yeah well we did our yellow episodes that that's right those are old reincarnation episodes that yeah, were for, feisty for, yeah newer <laughs> newer audiences we did yeah we did those yellow uh episodes like a really long time that was some that was like a long long while you want to lap your ass off we have a, like a dear friend of mine on uh justin key who's a uh faculty at one of the local sort of colleges in Chicago mm. and uh the conversation got a little feisty it was one of the few really feisty conversations marginally feisty that we've had I didn't like what I was saying for sure well you know that it, was, <clears> it <throat> made for an, enter an entertaining discussion yeah it was entertaining it was a little bit like because he's he's more of like a you only live once kind of a guy he's not yeah he's definitely a materialist more materialist yeah that was done in October of 20 yeah Oh wow, that long ago. Okay, yeah. Um, I the whole staging thing is kind of interesting. It does pop up here and there. I just wanted to acknowledge that sometimes we're doing that, you know. And you might wonder, like, you know, what's the point of that or what's happening with that? But I think because you know we're clinicians, Daniel, I think you sort of naturally need something to kind of like start saying, okay, where are people changing? How do I start seeing people changing? Yeah, yeah. It it's important. But if you don't have a familiarity with it, you know, it's, it's okay. I mean, we all know, like, it's, I, I feel like it's like somebody who's losing weight slowly over time, you'll see them change, you know, they're changing. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are interested in, in looking at somebody's development and having a frame of reference, you know, as, as in like, you're, you're not, you're not just looking for some change in general, you're looking for kind of like a specific change as somebody's moving along their path, then having a frame of reference probably is helpful, especially for somebody who is taking this as part of their life perspective. Yeah. And I think like, it's the idea that you, I, I love these old sources for doing it. You mm -hmm. don't want to take them too literal. Cause then it could be kind of like, kind of clunky, like what you're talking about, I think, mm -hmm. right. You attach to them too much. That isn't really healthy, but yeah, you go through and you dogmatic. just look at it, okay, there's some there's something I can kind of learn <clears throat> from looking mm. at these things, either about myself or others. Mm. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of little tricks like this, like these nine obstacles or whatever, where they try to like frame things in concrete ways to give you tools. Yeah. You know, take a step back and evaluate where you're at. Self-reflect. It also occurs to me that like, I wanted to just mention that they're kind of a tough love in the sense that like, everyone's going to have some issues going on in their life around this. You know what I mean? So, you know, as, as you listen to these things for all of us, you're gonna be like, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a point. That's something where I got something going on there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> when I first thought about talking about them, I, I thought, well, this will sound kind of negative or something, but I think like the, uh, the attitude that makes sense to talk about and what we're doing is that you can kind of really change your attitude and relationship with them. Sure. You can kind of transform them. And I see it as like kind of like, again, a part of a Buddhist Tantra, as we say, that's like one of our main home bases in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And you want to transform things. So, and what really hit me is, again, as we often like have had conversations, you know, we're not nuns or monks or something. We're going to be living lives that are going to be more like lay people's lives. It's not like we're going to get away from these things by like running off into the mountains and living in a cave or something like that. Mm -hmm. you know? 
And so <clears throat> we're going to need to somehow figure out how to transform these things. And I guess for me, then I saw it as, well, this is part of Buddhist Tantra for me. How do I take these things and transform them from being things that are obstacles into fuel for the fire, right? Which is kind of a tantric attitude to have towards things, right? You take the thing that would be the obstacle and you flip it on its head and you make it into the thing that becomes the source of improvement or fuel or passion or inspiration or whatever it is, right? Whatever that particularly is in your life, but you're like flipping it around. So I think that's the attitude I wanted to take into this, which makes sense, you know, not as a negative thing, but like, hey, let's look at these things and figure out how you can kind of start to flip them and transform them to use them in ways that are, uh, yeah, again, fuel for the fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating for me because I'm, and for myself, at least, coming out of my last meditation retreat, I was thinking about this a lot. Like, you know, part of my, the way I look at my own life is I'm trying to build up kind of a, a tantric lamrim for like the now or something, right? To learn from the old school stuff, but like kind of also internalize it in a way that it's useful for me, but also maybe has usefulness for other folks that we can and, share or at least a relevance for now, right? And, right, and, and lamrim, lamrim, you're saying like stages of the path. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit earlier, stages yeah. of the path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah just um, some, some terms, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, we had just like said it earlier in the episode too, but yeah, so this Lamrim stages of the path idea, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, it's kind of cool. The Taoist thing is talking about really directly. It's going to give us like a little list. We can all kind of think about it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So and maybe re reframe it for the modern world. And I have to say, I did do that when I was looking at it. I was looking at this old Taoist book, but I was also like, okay, let's frame this in the ways that will make sense for now, right? Always, yeah. Like what you were talking about, like there's no Taoist dealing with like social media <laughs> back at the time of Chung and Le, you know? So, but they're immortal. Maybe they're now around now, hanging around, dealing with it now. Who's the yeah. same? Yeah. All right. I know anything you want to do is like preamble for this from your side? No, we're good. Let's do it. You feel good? Okay. So obstacle number one, yeah, as we do the countdown. Um, So in the, in the Taoist text, they talk about being hampered by the needs for food and clothing. But if you look at it, it's kind of like excessive concerns for one's own security. Yeah. Where the security concerns become like so overwhelming that they kind of pull you off of your trajectory. And it's been like, again, it was, it's been this conversation that we talked about last week and at other times too. I definitely talked about this when I was trying to share my own experience with this, but with what I was going through during my uh, Christianity breakup period, that window of transition. But I definitely sort of feel like it's something having to, to look at how you deal with fear or something because mm -hmm. obviously this is a very sort of fundamental point of fear and maybe that people will potentially do a lot of mistaken things it seems to me driven by these kinds of fears where maybe in your professional life you do these things that you wouldn't otherwise do but just because you're afraid you know and as we talked about so many times there's reasons to be afraid it's kind of a scary culture yeah yeah, yeah. but it's it's not, well, at least from my understanding, it's not fear for the sake of fear. It's fear for the sake of security. It's like a second chakra type situation where it's, you know, you're worried about the bottom of the, of society that not you're not supported in that way. This is kind of like, uh, you know, a, awareness of the a finite nature of one's resources in this life, you know, but your obsession with falling through the bottom of that keeps you essentially trapped. Because you're not That's allowing like, yourself to expand. That's like Jung's kind of like the Procrustean better thing he was talking about in these episodes where he gets kind of locked into this thing. Mm -hmm. But so you, you're making it, you like feel like 
I don't always think the chakras in that way, second chakra in, the, in that way. Mm-hmm. And like the, I, I kind of think of them more in a Buddhist tantra way. They don't talk about them exactly in that way. Mm. So you're making distinction between like different kinds of fears associated with the different kinds of chakras. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the you know, first chakra is like uh, health, you know, uh, vitality, things like this. And, and the second chakra is shelter, food. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you're sort yeah, of, yeah, stack, uh-huh. yeah, you're stacking them. And then the third one would be, and we won't go any further than that unless it comes up. Uh, the third one would be like the ability to um, generate income or generate resources based on your efforts in order to fund the first two. So in order to get make money to have food so that you can feed yourself and your family and make maintain your home and so you can procreate and do all those kinds of things, you know. And yeah, what's yeah. what's interesting is that like the, the second chakra also in the way that the you know the, the Vedics, the yogis kind of talk about it from uh the, the Indian perspective. Mm-hmm. And not only is it dealing with like one's kind of home and security and things like this it's also the begin it's also dealing with sexuality but it also is the beginnings also playfulness but it's also the beginnings of creativity so yeah, they'll, I you talking about that in previous episodes too, yeah so. they'll, they'll point to like the caveman drawings in their in, in the in their little caves as like the beginning expressions of of this which i think is 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 kind of a you know a nice thing to to put in here because if you are overly concerned with you know, work or whatever the case is in order, like making money, won't even call it work. Let's just call it generating money. Uh, and you're stressed out about that. Your ability to create is going to be hampered. At least that's what I've noticed in my own professional experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. And patience and things too. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, like my sense of this is, is that there's just this basic fear around security that gets amplified sometimes culturally, certainly in American culture. Oh, you mean border security? <laughs> no, I'm not going there. Okay. <laughs> I, I have I live in Chicago. I have zero concerns for that. When I talk with friends and they care about that shit, I'm like, you're not living in like you're not in the, you're not in Texas. What are you talking right. about? Okay, whatever. That's a different whatever. But um what the hell you you know, like I have friends who worry about that in Chicago. I'm like, dude, we're fine, you know, totally fine. There's no one flowing over from Iowa into like Chicago. To you never know. I'll, I'll take that risk because I don't have <laughs> this fear. I overcame this obstacle. Get out of here, Wisconsinites. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I felt like the thing about that can happen is that you can get boxed into sort of like a, a way of framing your life and kind of making your decisions that gets like more narrowed down in their possibilities because you're just frightened. And I felt like in people's professional lives and then in people's relationships, they do this, right? It becomes a real big factor of like, okay, behind the scenes, a lot of it has to come from this place of like fear and insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. And until you face these things, my thing last week when we were talking about this was I felt like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to go to grad school. I'm not going to do any of the things that might've been the continuation of a certain kind of path towards security. Right. I'm going to purposely like not do it. So they felt like I'm going to confront this thing and, you know, make myself a little afraid and like try to get over this now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I felt it. And I thought about like a little bit, I was thinking about you during the week and in the um, podcast, a lot of times you share these sort of shamanic concepts of like the family thing around this. Yeah. Right. So I was talking with my son about it 
you know, these nine obstacles that came up, we were in the cafe yesterday <laughs> and we were shooting the breeze about this, but I started talking about kind of our family lineage around this. Mm -hmm. So my dad, when he was young, his father died, his grandmother died and his sister died like in this real short traumatic window, right? A window of transition, but not in a good sense. So there's mm. like a lot of familial trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his mom was all of a sudden a single mom in Chicago, you know, back in like the, the late thirties, early forties. Oh, wow. So, you know, really tough. And, um, and so, you know, she was working at night. They grew up in like my, my dad's family grew up in public housing in Chicago. Right. And, you know, my dad was really afraid there's no doubt, like he was affected by this very deeply. And he walked around with this deep sense of fear. And there was a, like a real paradox in it, because he would be working in corporate America sucks. He would go out sometimes, you know, when he would come home from work, he'd take me out to dinner with him, right? And we go to, there was a place in like where I was, it was called Jack Gibbons Garden. <laughs> they had lobster. So that was always cool. So I would be cracking the lobster open, you know, my dad was financially secure, for sure. I mean, he was like, kind of an amazing success story, but that fear was always kind of there. Mm -hmm. and on the one hand, he would say, my life is 98% bullshit. And he would be a little like, he'd have a couple of drambuies <laughs> and he'd be talking kind of honest. And I always enjoyed these conversations. I think we maybe mentioned this at other mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, he'd be a little sauced up and he'd start explaining this. But at the same time, he was definitely like, go into corporate America, go into corporate America. And he kept trying to push me into it. And I was, there was this weird thing where I was like, I'm not going to do that. You just told me for years how much this sucks. Mm. I'm going to do it. But there was this trauma around this, right? And each and like each of my parents in their own way had it. And then you start thinking from what you were saying that this kind of probably goes back generations then even, yeah. right? My grandmother yeah, yeah. probably had it. My dad's mom had it too, you know? They were terrified of, you know, being able to just hold on, you know? And yeah, that whole shamanic idea that you share with people about like, this is kind of there underlying in that stream of ancestry, right? My guess, Eric, is that that is in almost every lineage. When was that not the case? When was food scarcity not, not the norm? When was, you know, physical security not the norm? Even living in, you know, smaller aggregates of communities, there was warring between communities and things like this you know kingdoms and whatever so uh yeah wherever you are if you had resources it was inevitable that somebody was going to try to come get them yeah i mean it's certainly like you can think of it in that kind of like anthropological way right mm -hmm. yeah, we can yeah, ask yeah. our um our anthropologist who's in Saint Paul. Yeah, that's right <laughs> we got two of them that's yeah. right yeah um I mean, it's interesting whether that, like, I'm always kind of curious about the Christopher Ryan version of this, whether it's always like this story of like people wanting to bash each other over the header of their resources or whether you get to like older things and people lived in their own bands and they, it wasn't worth them to try to like fuck around with one another. Yeah, I don't know. You know in some of those situations, it'd be like, well, we got our own resources and yeah, you know, there was a kind of a weird one. I, it wasn't something I was thinking about, talking about, but in Christopher Ryan's book, he's the guy who wrote Sex of Dawn, mm. Civilized to Death. And uh, stuff that pops up in our episodes occasionally, though, maybe worthwhile doing something specifically on them at some point, right? It's very interesting. And they had a thing where they were trying to get the people when they came from Europe to uh, South America, they were trying to get these people to work harder and to like adopt like European like work ethic things. Mm -hmm. And these Amazonian people were like, fuck it, why should I do that? I can eat this stuff off the tree. My life is really easy. I'm not gonna do any of this shit you're talking about because my life is simple. <laughs> And they didn't seem like they were that worried, you know, they were just 
It's more like, you know, my life is what it is. I sleep when I need to eat. I get some stuff from nature. I hang out. I do what I'm doing. So, I mean, it was just sort of interesting because he sometimes he tries to debunk a little bit that idea of like everything was always like a clash to the death mm. you know, between bands of like, you know, uh, primordial tribes or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Saying, like really like he's saying, like when you look at the reports of a lot of the <clears throat> Europeans trying to get these Amazonian folks to do stuff, they're like, are you crazy? Why should I work my ass off? I don't, I don't have to, I work three hours a day. Mm. <laughs> I don't need to do what you're doing to survive. Mm-hmm. My life is good. So anyways, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but it was kind of interesting to share because I don't know. It's interesting whether it was always like that. I don't know from the anthropological, sociological point of view. We get some opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the family point of view, I know I was thinking with my son too in the sense that, in the sense that I, I got into the University of Chicago, which was kind of a big deal for me. I wasn't like, I was sick when I was a teenager. My grades weren't that spectacular then, you know? And so I worked my way in. And at the time I was going to school, you know, college is so overwhelmingly expensive now. It's ridiculous, right? And so many people are buried under all of this debt, which is another reason to be afraid, right? Mm. You're buried under debt, certainly in America, right? And, um, but at the time that I got in, it wasn't that much money. You know, the University of Chicago cost you like 10 to 15K a year. It was nothing. You know, I mean, you get your whole degree. And I had like, I only needed to go for like another year and a half or something. It wasn't much money at all, you know? And my dad had like a six figure income at the time, you know? So I would pay for some, he would pay for some. It was simple. But my parents were so afraid about money. I remember this conversation I was just sharing with my son yesterday where my mom came up. I was doing some calculus, something mathematical shit I was studying, you know? And I'd gone to a junior college and I was going to transfer over. And my mom came up and she was like, we can't afford to do it. And I looked at her like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you can't go. We don't have the money. And we had this long conversation and then she started crying and they just were terrified about money, you know? And I just remembered that incident. And I was like, yeah, they really carried this deep fear. Well, they, they lived to the points of like, it wasn't a rational fear. We could definitely swing it. I could, they lived through, um, they they were, you know, they lived through the depression though. My parent, my my grandparents did, not my parents. Well, your parents did not. Mm-mm. When were your parents born? Age, they were coming of age in the 1950s and 60s. Okay. So they weren't like you know they weren't living for the worst economic times. Now maybe they were traumatized with their parents. Sure. When were they born? When were when was your my dad's born in 1937? My mom in 1940. So to their parents, maybe maybe it's an ancestral feeling, right? Yeah. You're talking about. But I mean, yeah. it didn't make any sense. And I was like sharing with my son, you know, just going like, yeah, there's something in that. But I think maybe that's part of the reason, maybe it's, I, I wasn't thinking about this even though I was writing these notes, but maybe that's a motivation for a lot of us too, to just like nip these things now. Well, so, like, that, yeah, that's a few took the thought right into my head. Clips. Yeah, that's it. Words, it was somebody, I read in a quote somewhere, like enlightenment is, is less about becoming and more about forgetting. You know, forgetting things that we were, that we have inherited, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely speaks to your shamanic point of view. You know, when I really stopped back and looked at it, I thought, yeah, these people were financially traumatized. I mean, I think, isn't that, that, that's almost, it's almost inherent even in the word freedom, right? Is that like you become free of, you become free to choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking the, you know, you can... Uh, you know, depending on how you look at things, like does edu- does that does education or experience or teachings does that give you new insight or does that break you from previous insight or maybe both along the lines? But I think 
you know, for me, that's why I always mention it. It's, it's for me, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's letting go of whatever was previous and, and changing the way that you see things for moving forward, you know? Well, certainly as they're doing a Taoist thing, <clears throat> a lot of times the Taoists will like frame things as like a forgetting for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Like jettisoning stuff off. Right. Mm -hmm. As much as learning anything new. Right. So I know for me in the end with this obstacle, like when I really kind of like tried to do like a little deep dive in myself about it, I was like, well, the only way I can really think about this is something to share, you know, from my own experience with this. I think you just have to like face these fears at some point. Right. Really look at them. And like, for me, it was, it was like a tantric theater thing in the sense it's like, okay, I'm going to let myself fall through the bomb a little bit and feel how that feels scary. You mm -hmm. know, I'll let myself slide through. What we talked about last time was when you're sliding through the bottom, you're also like in a certain sense, emerging out of the whole thing. Right. Right. And it's a way of like breaking out the top at the same time. Part of it. And so I, yeah. Eric, part of it too, is that like, there is, the idea of the bottom is also slightly skewed because of this, because of the, I could say societal drives for desire that you should have X, Y, and Z. And that then changes what your sort of requirements are for your own life, which add on to what you need to produce. I was talking with a, a friend of mine, actually Christian, who was on the podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. We do this men's group. We're doing one again in in uh, in March, and we were talking about like taxes because he's his first year in business for himself. Um, he was working for somebody previously, so it's his first year. Yeah. And for those who are not who don't own a small business, you know, this is you know maybe a little bit TMI, but it's okay if you do for those are acupuncturist folks who are entrepreneurs, which is a good, you know, portion of us or people who are entrepreneurs in general, you got to take care of your own taxes and whatever. And, and I was like, well, don't worry. You'll have a bunch of things that you can write off on your taxes. You know, I said, but the sad part is that when you realize that you have a bunch of things to write off on your taxes, that you actually have to spend a lot of money to run a business and to pay for the things that you need, you have to pay for probably half of what you bring in goes towards, paying your rent and your mortgage and your bills and this, what, you know what I'm saying? But then you think about it, you're like, damn, half of my efforts just go to keep the lights on, you know, as a, as a euphemism for all of this. So it just goes to show the amount of effort that is required just to, to, to do this, you know, just to have quote unquote security and how much of that idea of security is necessary for actual security versus what you think you need. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like the difference between like being take a step back and be able to say, okay, where are these fears, concerns that I have to take care of because that's a thing I need to do just mm -hmm. to make my life progress, mm -hmm. psycho spiritually or otherwise. And how much of this is like stuff I'm carrying because there are fears that are excessive that are limiting me and what I think is possible or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, uh, you know, I had health problems when I was younger. And uh, I started doing this Zen and the Zen thing was very much sort of, again, we talked about different times, like kind of samurai based. And it was a very much a confrontation with fear. Mm. You know? And then the samurai take on it, it was like, well, I could get killed at any time. So I'm facing fear like all the time. Mm -hmm. That was kind of imbued into the school. It was like, we're going to help you deal with fear. And I think framed in that way, they thought the two major obstacles were fear that will like hold you back from becoming who you are. And then they said anger. You know, that those two things are like maybe even entwined, you know, in our Chinese medicine, the fear and the anger are kind of related in an interesting way because the 
the fear kind of can feed the anger or something like that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the anger will make you act out in ways where you do something stupid, and but the fear will hold you back. Right. And for me, going through that, I was like, yeah, I'm really gonna have to deal with fear. And uh, and it was like, okay, this is my time to confront this for reals. And I think I sort of realized that even before I was specifically studying in that school, I realized like, okay, I'm gonna have to do this now. Otherwise, I'm never gonna get free of this because the whole the whole thing is so fear generating that like kind of on purpose, right? Yeah. Not like a, it's not a bug. It's a feature. We're not going to give you insurance. So you're afraid for your health and your livelihood. You're going to have mm -hmm. to walk around afraid, you know, that's mm -hmm. part of just in the culture. So I felt like, okay, you got to like, you got to face that. And then from the Tibetan Buddhist side, I just wanted to mention, I wanted to mention the Zen practice for that. And I thought there's a thing in Tibetan uh, uh, meditative culture, they call it chud, which is this idea of like cutting the fear. And it's like specifically like go and like deal with fear. You have to deal with fear. Like it's a strong thing. It comes actually mm. from a female yogini, Machik Labdra. And uh, in my little meditation room in the house, I sort of have a tanka with her on it. I bought it when the, I went to see the Dalai Lama in Washington, D.C. It's kind of a beautiful little tanka of her. And what's a tanka, Eric? The tanka is like a Tibetan spiritual painting. There we go. <laughs> so it shows like the iconography, iconography of like a... Uh, <laughs> you know, the Buddhist deities, or it could be just like an individual practitioner like her, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like a special bond with Machik Labdrum because when I first got the introduction to her practices with, you know, Lama Glenn, Glenn H. Mullen, you know, one of our beloved teachers, um, I felt like a real bond, you know? So I've always felt a soft spot for this. And she really talks about dealing with fear. Mm. And the practice in like a traditional context would be you'd go to places that were scary at night. Like you might be doing your meditation like, in a graveyard in the mm, middle of the yeah, night yeah, 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 yeah. to go yeah. and confront the fear, yeah. you know, yeah. or, you know, go to a place that's kind of scary and confront the fear of it. So you get over this, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's interesting in the practice too. It's, it's sort of one of the things they ask you to visualize is like your own spirit, leaving your body and then like chopping the body up and like breaking that connection of even that primal fear about your own body or something. Mm. Right. It's an interesting practice because they recommend it for people who are doctors too. They say the more you do it, you psycho-spiritually develop the idea to go into places where people are sick and you're less vulnerable and stuff. So it's a really cool thing mm. that speaks to anybody. Um, reach out for sure. We can give you some ideas where you can get more about that. But she's a great, you know, just a great yogini in the Tibetan tradition. And it's like really direct for fear. And I think I, I needed it in the sense that I had a lot of these fears, you know, mm -hmm. And uh, I was talking with Ryan Davenport about this, uh, about this again, our anthropologist person uh, on retainer on call for mm -hmm. no money. <laughs> but uh, the idea that uh, he's going to come on the episode, he's going to come on and talk about this because we were both sick when we were young. And I don't want to ruin his story. He'll tell it, but he was really ill. And when he decided he wanted to be an anthropologist, people were like, you can't leave the country. You'll never be able to leave the country. Your, your health is too vulnerable. You can't do it. And it was very, we've had pretty powerful conversations about this where he was like, okay, fuck it, I'm going. And like, like he, uh, he was at this party over the weekend and like he wore this shirt he wore that he bought in Bolivia because he was like, I'm going to the mountains. And if I have to face my fear, if I get sick, you know, now I'll save the rest of the story for him to tell. But mm -hmm. I was like, it was very powerful. And I was like, okay, I resonate with what you're saying. So at some point you have to face fear, right? You know, otherwise you're going to live with a, like, a, a, I, I was thinking of the Kabbalah of this too. You know, the Kabbalah kind of talks about this idea. If you buckle under the fear, you're going to feel a certain shame inside of yourself. Yeah. 
it's a deep kind of weird shame. There's a certain rationality of being afraid of things, but if you buckle to it, you know, then you like you have this weird feeling of feeling kind of ashamed in front of yourself or something. But anyways, I know it's a deep subject matter. It's the one I, I wanted to kind of go through some of the spiritual tools around it because it's it's such an core one, you know, I mean, this primal fear, right? Yeah, I feel, I feel like if you, if in the moments of, you know, in the moments of deep fear, if, you know, most people are going to survive them, you know, uh, but that if you don't rise up to where you think you can, then there's a shame that you didn't do it in the moment that you kind of know better now. But I find that fear is freezing, you know, like that's this, like the nervous system response to fear is like fight, flight, or freeze. This is, I mean, this is physiologic. This is not even like a spiritual idea. This happens. It's so interesting when you're talking about that, because you're interested in the five phases with this and that's the water phase, right? Yes. It's cold. It freezes you and fear mm. freezes you. So you know, like you're talking about before in the water phase, it's winter time, it's fear, and you freeze, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's this physiological response that 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 brings that about. And if you know, after this the moment has passed, you can look back and probably with regret, I guess, is what the is what I'm saying is that you look back and there's this shame that you should have known better. Or if it comes again, you'll do this next time. But in between those two times. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen super often. So you walk around with this feeling like, shit, I should have did better. And then unfortunately, the next time it happens, the same thing happens because there's not a whole lot that you can um, that you can do. And I think one of the things for me, because, you know, I relate this really deeply to a couple a couple medicine experiences, because I find that to be the times at which I face this head on, you know, which is why it's difficult for me to go. And I'm just being honest now. Like it's I mean, you mean like the ayahuasca aspect of this. Yeah. 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 Even so anything that's anything that can turn off your defense mechanism. So if oh, you gotcha. take enough, even if you take enough marijuana, people have anxiety. Well, what's anxiety? Anxiety is fear, mm -hmm. you know, amongst other things it's, it's based around fear. You're trying to like not get in the deep water. So you're tiptoeing on the surface. If you just keep yourself busy enough, it's going to pass, except it doesn't, you know? And for me, what I have found, and, and I want to hear what you think, because this is like even important for, for myself as we're getting ready to go um, lead our retreat to Mexico. And I think this episode will probably be on while we're down there, is that like that fear in my, from my experience, um, comes often from a lack of deep faith. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about like, you know, doing the meditation where you're seeing yourself above your body and then like leaving it you know, chopping it up and going, yeah, that is not who you are. You know, that's who you are now, but that is not actually who you are. I don't know that people believe that. And then we, you know, we've been having these episodes about Christianity and whatnot, but that like the ability of this, of, of, of people to take in and take on metaphysical stories or pop, you know, they can hear stories about metaphysical powers gives them faith that there is something like we, we've talked about on the episodes before beyond the obvious that there is a divine presence and that gives them that faith to transcend the fear what fear the fear of death the fear of obliteration do you know what i'm saying and so yeah. that like in the in the in the mini version in the micro hologram you know fear in these deep ways is the fear of that ultimately. And this comes from, you know, my teacher, Andre, who will say like people who are experiencing um, difficult time doing yoga poses or something like that. Yes, their fear of 
injuring themselves in a yoga class is a legitimate one. Sure, you could break your nose or hurt your wrist, but really, what are you scared of? You're scared of dying. You're scared that that injury is going to progress further and you're going to be bedridden and that's going to be the end of it for you. You know what I'm saying? All from this yoga class or whatever the case is. But realistically, your attachment to your physical being and having the deep knowledge that that physical being has a, a time limit on it is what you're is what you're afraid of. But what are you afraid of? You're not really afraid of losing that being. You're afraid of losing the thing that that you think is is what makes you alive, is what makes you you, and of the fear of losing the sort of micro version of yourself that we're completely identified with. Do you know what I'm saying? And because of the lack of faith that 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 is not going to extend beyond just this lifetime is what you're afraid of. And so those two things sit on polar opposites of the spectrum of experience for this, but in reality, they're 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 inherently they're 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 so close together. You could just like you just have to like, however it is, let one thing go or accept that that's there. Um, I don't know. I wanted to, I want to hear what you think, but that's yeah, been no, something that I've experienced. You know. Yeah, I know. Like I I get what you mean. Like I think in the Zen attitude towards it, the way it was was like yeah. Ultimately, it boils down to some kind of fear of your own mortality or something, mm -hmm. right? It's in the uh, chemical Taoist stuff, uh, acupuncture treatments too, where at some point or another, you have to kind of face this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has this. And of course, you're also afraid of the mortality of the people around you or something, right? You're afraid of loss and sadness and grief. Um, and I guess what you're saying, which is, you know, like, a, a, the, you know, the deep idea is that if you really think that you're, if you're really, if you're in a cultural situation where you're raised really to think that your body is all that you are, which is probably the dominant point of view mm -hmm. underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people going to walk around feeling that way. Then the loss of your body is the loss of everything, I guess. Right? That's yes. the obliteration of your entire identity, right? And there is nothing beyond that. Um, in our two lives, and I don't know how much you want to go to this place or not. When you and I have talked about this, the way it's always seemed to me like I had a lot of illness, and then you were in combat, mm -hmm. so we had our fear experiences, right? And, uh, you know, how do you handle those going forward, right? Those are deep primordial, like my body is at risk, right? Mm -hmm. As um, So I wonder how that totally played out. Some of it's like confronting that stuff. And I suppose when I look back at it from like my Zen experience point of view was that I had sort of like transcendent kind of meditative experiences for what they're worth, right? Mm -hmm. It convinced me like, oh, there's something more than just this thing for me. You know, you can't prove that to somebody else. Right. Everybody has to go through their own experience of that. But I think that is, was part of what happened for me. You know, you go through and you start having these experiences of more and more subtle parts of your own mind. And maybe you hit things that you feel like, wow, this is probably something way beyond just my materiality or something. There's something mm. more to me than just this. And then the confidence, confidence of that grows or something. And then you're able maybe to make a little bit more of that leap into that. Mm -hmm. I also had like a kind of a mixed background. Like my parents were very scientific, but my grandparents were very Christian. So I got that kind of mixed thing. And maybe there's a part of me that was a little bit more intellectually inclined. Mm -hmm. As of the Christian experience, I think there was something more to me than just my body. But maybe the Zen thing made it even more deeply experiential. And maybe that made it a little bit easier to handle some of those fears. You really start thinking, yeah, oh, there's something more to me. Which is funny because we were talking about earlier in the episode, that's when you're in the Buddhist path then, right? When you start thinking, oh, there's more to me now. And that's when it clicks in. But until that moment, yeah, I think you're right. There's a If I really identify with this is all of me and then this is really at risk, of course, you're going to feel afraid. Why, why wouldn't you, right? And yeah. that 
that is such a profound just just understanding that right there that like that is the entrance into the stages of the path that's not the end yeah it's kind of the gateway that's the beginning and then yeah. and then eric just so just so we're here so that people who are rocking with us you know they can get that just the the, the stages you know um yeah 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 so they'll divide it's kind of a long thing but in you know in uh certainly in a lot of uh tibetan buddhism they talk about a gradual path yeah we had a really interesting thing and that i did in like a, a tantric empowerment recently it's by a really charming canadian 74 year old lama lama jampa another, right? one. another one yeah another canadian <laughs> that's not canadian llamas though lama glenn glenn h Mullen's pretty feisty <laughs> so he's the feisty Canadian. This is more what you imagine a Canadian would be. Lama Jampa is like this, right? And he's a very interesting person. He went to Dharamsala. He knew Lama Glenn back in India, back in the seventies, right? Yeah. And uh, but their personalities are really different. He's much more like a very polite, sincere, mm -hmm. sweet mm -hmm. Canadian guy. <laughs> um, but anyways, he was saying that you know these are stages of like psychological development. Yeah being described you know and you change your mind about stuff so this yeah. big thing would be changing your mind saying oh i think there's more to me than just my material body so that's kind of like what they call the lower stages of the path of accumulation and you start thinking about yourself like okay there's more to me than just this and then you start exploring whatever you think that means of course in buddhism they think you're going to keep coming back again but mm -hmm. and then there's a middle one too that has to do with like facing the suffering of life what they sometimes call dukkha Mm -hmm. The third stage of it is where they really talk about becoming a, a being driven by compassion and love for other people too. Mm. So you've understood these, uh, these other parts and that builds to this compassion feeling that you want to develop yourself to be the most powerful version of yourself in order to be able to help other people. So you're working for yourself, but you're also then working for others. And then in the, you know, in the school of the Dalai Lama, then you enter into the tantric path for sure. If you haven't already. And then you start doing the deep meditations of the tantric path to kind of like start to accelerate this process along. I mean, that's the theory of it, mm -hmm. like in a nutshell or something. No, that's a that's a good nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Even so it kind those of builds allergic to nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like uh, like dump the shells, dump the nuts, take the idea. <laughs> it's funny because on my retreat, I really it's so funny that you're this is coming up because in the retreat, I was really making myself do this. I was making myself making sure to review all of this in every session, you know? Mm. And there was a power to it. I mean, they give the advice. Was I always following that advice? No. You do your best. But, yeah, you do what you can do. <laughs> so I made myself like really do it, you know, in every meditation session. Let me start off with this as the, the beginning. I'll review this whole thing in my mind. And uh, then I'll go into the meditation and I'll keep following it through. Like it's a kind of a building thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, though, this is making a difference. And then when I did the retreat, you know, at the end of my own personal retreat, there was this initiation with this Canadian Lama, mm -hmm. right? And again, a great guy, I guess he's one of the Western people who's been, the Dalai Lama told him to go teach, I guess, right? Yeah. David Mission said teach. So he's, he's a unique person. And uh, he said, oh, you know, this is a stage thing and it's gradual. And these are st steps of psychological realization as you go through and you build it up like a stage, you know, like ladders or something, but you can build up all the the rungs maybe. And I was like, damn, I was just trying to do that. Perfect. I'm right in the headspace <laughs> to listen to what this guy was saying. And it really is. Awesome. Anyways. Yeah. Um, maybe the only thing that lasts is we, before we bounce out, do you have something else you wanted to say about it, Daniel? I mean, I don't know. 
you talk about your military service. I don't know if you want to do it ever, but you know, that's a very unique thing. Ryan's Davenport's health things by health things. Mm -hmm. Those are very unique experiences, but people have other things that are analogous, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of places where fear gets in, you know, I think we're, I won't beleaguer the point just because we're kind of coming to the end. I don't want to open it up too much, but you know, there's this sort of new age idea of this, they call it a scarcity mindset, uh, okay. you know, cause mindset's very, th th that term is very popular uh, right now in, in the coaching world uh, mindset mindset. And it's true. I mean, it, your mindset's extremely important that there's nothing wrong with this term in particular, uh, but they'll talk about people who are nervous to take risks as having a bit of a scarcity mindset, meaning that they are, you know, they're they're focused on security, or maybe we could say more focused on insecurity, and that this uh, is a limiting factor to their success. It sort of puts the top on because they're unwilling to let themselves fall. Therefore, they're unwilling to let themselves fail, meaning you're also unwilling to let yourself succeed because, you know, no juice or no orange, no squeeze or no whatever the term is to get that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so... I don't love that term in general because it gets used a bit of as a as a used a bit as of a pejorative for people who are unwilling to take risks. And sometimes it's used in a negative way to get people to buy things perhaps that is outside of their uh current budget, you know. So oh, yeah, it would be like if you really have confidence in yourself, you'll spend this money on this thing or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think in a larger perspective, it's talking about this particular thing right here. And then if you have the idea that there is not enough, then there isn't, you know, there, there, there isn't enough. And your mindset around that is a one of fear, right? And so maybe they're not talking it in such like a psychological term. It's, you know, kind of like pseudo psychology, if you will. Um, but that the idea that the, that the fear is fueling your decisions is probably more aptly put. So if people hear this kind of, idea you could take that I, you could take any idea that that is out there that is popular and try to find some some nuggets that are within it and i think that at least discussing the the vast presence of fear in people's lives and that is influencing your decision to do or not do things is one that has to be um has to be addressed honestly actually yeah, I think you really have to confront it some way or another, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like you were talking about episodes of like fright. Oh man, I'm in this situation. I can handle this better next time. You know, like sometimes in Chinese medicine, we'll call those acute things, those mm -hmm. immediate things kind of fright. I'm also interested in this kind of like grinding fear that maybe limits, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe my dad going, okay, I got to go work in this job that I really don't want to be in because, you know, I got to do it. And then your decision isn't just like an immediate thing. It's like, it's like something that's skewing your whole life in some direction, right? Mm -hmm. Like a magnetizing to something in that way. Or, uh, you know, sometimes in people's relationships too, I don't really want to do this thing. I know people who've done this. I've, I've had these conversations. It's like, you know, the person on, in, the, in their moments of honesty, they're like, I'm doing this because I'm afraid, you know, mm -mm. this person's going to be my security that'll keep me, you know, secure. And we'll talk about this maybe as another obstacle that'll be mentioned later on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, only last thing, maybe before we totally bounce in my conversations with my son, if you're, a, if you're a parent, this was interesting. I told my son like how proud I am of him that he does these things that are scary. Mm -hmm. So he goes to these chess tournaments and you could lose, right? Uh, or my daughter did a lot of like skating, you know, where you would go out and you'd be in, a, in front of a crowd of people and you could fall on your ass, you know, but she did those things. 
And I always thought, well, this is really good because I couldn't always do that when I was a kid. You know, I couldn't go into those situations of where I, you know, I, I wouldn't succeed. That was kind of hard for me sometimes. I know how you felt about those things. It's funny, Eric. I was just talking about this with a patient of mine today. Oh, she's, yeah. She's, uh, you know, she's a composer. She's a, you know, scholastically trained, you know, she's a professional pianist. She has a piece that will be, she composed that will be played at Carnegie Hall in like two months from now. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, no, legitimate, you know, scores for movies and things like this, but she has terrible stage fright. Mm. Terrible stage. So we were talking a little bit about this today because she's going to be traveling out there and, you know, helping them put the pieces together and talking with the composer is super cool. You know, like I've never met. That's fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and, you know, she's like, I have terrible stage fright. She's like, I'm back there. And so we talked about the fear actually. And we talked about what it manifested for us. And, and for her, it was the fear of people being disappointed that she didn't, that she was worried about them worrying about her. Oh, weird. Okay. Like so it's that, like a, but that's her thing. And so that's an earth element. Anxiety about her anxiety is the thing that throws her or something. Yeah. That like, you know, and I said, and I said, I feel like this might be a male and female dynamic because mine is different. I'll say mine in a minute, but I was like, you're worried about work. You're worried about being about them being worried. So you're worried about worry, which means you're, a, you're a worrier. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And that this yeah. pressure, the, 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 the pressure that is this fear the fear that is that is creating this pressure is pushing you back into the place of discomfort of of worry. So she's playing the piano and like she knows that people in the audience are afraid that she's going to make a mistake. And no, 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 no. That, that they somehow? that they would that they would feel um, not compassion for her, but they would see that maybe she's nervous and they oh, would feel oh, I see and emp- feel that. empathetic for her and therefore. They'd be like, well, they wouldn't be seeing her, and I, I, I couldn't say any further than that. That's but I can say that's really complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, but it's, yeah. it is, it's in that way, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a very deep thing. But again, that's fear driven. And and I said for me, well, my ability to deal with this kind of difficulty playing in front of people, whatever uh, instrument I'm playing or for whatever venue, because I've definitely played by myself for like a belly dancer, or I've played in some other smaller venues, or what you know, whatever that I just, I don't want people to be mad at me because I was nervous and, and made mistakes. You know, <laughs> like, like I paid this money to hear this man and he made mistakes that's get my money back. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, they're pissed off. But what does that fear do for me? It makes, it pushes me towards this, like the the place of anger or the place of resentment, you know? Oh, and so okay. that's that's the response in, in that way. So I think I'm mentioning these because I think everyone's going to have a slightly different manifestation once it gets in it, it works its way through the, the the generating or the the controlling cycle on the five elements you know um but it is it is a it's a real thing that that should be dealt with and and to your point these are smaller obstacles these are moments of fright like you mentioned but they give you a glimpse into how you're going to react in a deeper place of fear even if it's a grinding kind of a thing or if it's a you know life yeah. change kind of a thing that will show you you know, that will show you what's underlying for you. That's what I felt for my son. I was basically going, okay, when you're a kid to get up in front of that stage in front of the other people in the class that you might screw up, you know, in the school play or whatever, that can be just as terrifying for you as a kid as the kind of stuff that you go through as an adult. That emotion in that moment is just as real for that kid, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. 
And in watching my son, like a lot of times he'll just like roll up in the shit. Like he'll just be like, okay, where do I have to go? What do I got to do? And he'll just do it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. damn, that's great. And I was talking to him like, that's a rehearsal for how you handle yeah. almost what you were talking about, that physiological feeling of fear in that yeah. moment, right? Yeah. That can really throw you. Yeah. So he did like, uh, he won like the speech contest for his grade or something. We got the recording. I'll see if he's okay with me putting it up on Instagram or something. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But he just got up and he was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to do my thing. Mm-hmm. He did it. And I was like, that's great. And it comes from the chess thing for him too. Mm. So he rolls up and he plays these adults. And, you know, it could be damaging to your ego, right? You lose, right? And you feel bad about yourself. But he he does it. He keeps doing it, you know? He's got faith in his ability. Yeah, I think it's that. But even when he loses, that's true, you know? But even when he loses, I thought, like, okay, like, he's he's learned how to handle that emotion, you know, in the mm, moment. Right. It's hard to do that, right? That in the heat of the moment thing, you know? If we take a meta approach, though, Eric, his, his chess life, in that moment mm-hmm. has been lost because he lost the game, but he knows yeah, that's, that's not, he knows that's not his actual life. <laughs> <laughs> but the, in the moment, it feels like it's devastating. You know what I mean? But but you get my analogy, right? Yeah, uh, it's very similar, right? Like for right, him, just, his chess life is his life. <laughs> right. But that's what I'm saying. That allows him to practice the reincarnation, if you will. You know, he, he knows there'll be another one, you know? Well, you know that like thing where you really want to be good at something he wants to be good at this chess so badly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if he's good, he'd like to be like Magnus Carlsen. Like, you know, he'd love to be that. And the odds are not going to be in his favor on that, you know? And so like his identity is hanging, you know, like what you were talking about. This is his identity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he's throwing his identity out there like all the time to have it like potentially get treated like a pinata <laughs> and get smacked around, you know, which could really damage your ego. But he does it. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, that's one of the things I respect most about you. Mm-hmm. Like, I tell him that like I want more, even more of what you got in me mm-hmm. <laughs> as an adult. I want what you got even mm-hmm. more so. Right. I respect it. Real quick before we bounce, Lama Glenn did this weird thing where. He made me bring my guitar to a couple of the retreats. And he made I remember. Me play. I remember. And I was like, dude, I want to fucking play. <laughs> and he was like, you got to. He just like said, he just assumed it. And yeah. I was like, this bastard's going to make me play this shit. And like, I can play. I don't play as often in front of like crowds of people. And I was like, okay, I understand what he's doing. He knows I'm a little reluctant to do it. And he's going to make me do it. <laughs> and it went fine. You know what I mean? And it was a good experience. I was like, okay, cool. You know, so he made me play in front of these people, you know. And our audience doesn't know, but what we what we talked about before we started recording and who we talked about it with was about confronting fear. We did do that. We, uh-huh. did, we literally just did that with somebody. We're not going to say who or about what, unfortunately, but. Uh, They'll know if they, they listen to the episode, but, yeah. you know, it was interesting. Yeah. And like afterwards, you know, we talked about Ryan Davenport. He happened to be at that event and he came up and said, oh, wow, you can really play. And he was very complimentary about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the guy who runs the Theosophical Society came up to me and he did something really interesting. I was playing like a Japanese piece that's like relatively hard. I was was there. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember. And so uh, uh, I was playing this thing and, you know, you're going to make some mistakes and shit like what you were talking about, Daniel. You know, you're not going to play it perfect. And the guy from the Theosophical Society came up and said, well, you know, listen, you played that you played that great. That was good. You know? And he said, I could see when you would make a mistake, you'd give a little, eh. <laughs> a little flinch. You know? And he said like, 
no one fucking knows if you made a mistake or not. That's, Don't worry about it. <laughs> that was my that was my exact point to my patient today. I said, everybody in the audience would love to be literally fifty percent as good as you are. Yeah, they, yeah, would, yeah. they would kill for that. They'd be like, someone oh on that level for sure, right? You know, yeah, like yeah. I would love to be half as good. Like I wish I was half as good as the worst NBA player, the worst one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll be as half as good as that. The guy who's like the twelfth guy off the bench for like you know like uh, the Whatever. the Mavs or some you know semi crap team. I don't know if the Mavs are good or not. They're no, pretty good actually. Oh, yeah, I chose the wrong team. <laughs> yeah, don't say the Kings either because they're they're very good. <laughs> How are the Knicks doing? They were pretty shit before. Are they still shit? Uh, they're kind of like middle of the road, actually. You know. All right. Well, whoever the shit team is, well, the Bulls yeah. are like, man, they're kind of like okay. So, anyways, even if you're that, you're that dude who walks off. Yeah, you're, you're one of the hundred something best people in the world with this thing. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah so that's so. interesting. So it, it was interesting that Lama Glenn made me do that, and they would do that in the Zen things too. They'll make you do shit that you're afraid of, looking silly in front of other people. Yeah. You know. I remember I was going to one of the Zen retreats and they were like, made me do the serving of the food, mm. which means you have to carry out these big trays. You have to sit on like on your knees on the hardwood floor and you have to go through and like ladle all this food to all these different people. And there's all these Japanese rituals of how you're supposed to do it. I didn't know any of that shit. I had been at the retreats and they just sprung it on me. Okay, great. You're at the retreat. Now you got to do this thing and you have no idea what the hell you're doing, <laughs> you know? And I was like, you bastards. But the whole point was to like be in front of like 50, 60 people where you could like a clown eye yourself. I love that juice, man. That's the good juice. Boy, I'll tell you what, I'll take that juice. I'll put yeah. it in the box and I'll drink it. <laughs> so I was ladling it to the Hosokawa Roshi, the Zen master, and I like plopped some of the soup over the side. Oh, you sicko. How could you, <laughs> And Eric? he did this badass Zen thing. It was so cool. He just took his finger and he just grabbed the noodle and he just like slid it up the side. He like froze my brain on his finger. Like I literally couldn't move my mind like an inch <laughs> he just like dang stuck me on his finger and he did this little motion and stuck the stuff back in the bowl and then he looked at me and i was like "Ooh, zen moment <laughs> and then i had to go around the rest of the room you know and you know you're gonna fuck up you know but it's embarrassment right yeah you know? that's yeah. A, that's the ego crusher right there man that's the ego crusher man yeah. right there Anyways, it's good it's good though right it's good that's that's how it. you learn how to deal with fear. crush it baby learn how to deal with fear absolutely yeah. Well, this was okay, fun. great. So that's fun. All right. Yeah. So this is obstacle one of nine. I think uh, <laughs> I was thinking the same thought, but this is a deep one. I don't think they're all be this long. No, well, whatever. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah. They're not all this long, but this is a good one. Yeah. I think this is almost like one of the ones that's at the core of all of it, really. Mm -hmm. You can handle some mm -hmm. of your fears. And the last of these things will become easier. I think <laughs> the last piece, and we talked about this last time because I mentioned it before, but we'll bring it up just one more time for folks. You know, the the sort of five elemental approach to the body is that the body is, has its own kind of spirit associated with it, which is associated with the metal element, which is in charge of like respiration and expiration and taking in and letting go and all this, but it, it's inherently related to the soma. It's inherently related to the physical body and it has an awareness to it that it's time is limited. And so any recollection of that finite clock of that finite experience right losing a loved one or not having enough right reminds it of that and there is a there is a response to that and the response to that for most people is fear because it's mo it's motivating in a sense that it will stop you from taking risks in order to preserve 
what is the status quo. Even if the status quo is not necessarily great, it's understood and accepted. You know, so Stockholm syndrome is like the, the worst of this kind of thing, but it's still a thing, you know? So for people to, you know, approach different situations that allow them to, to be open, vulnerable for embarrassment, you know, is really important. Is really important. I think it's shaking the paradigm that like you are bound to failure if you try and you're not bound to failure if you try. You're really, you're really not. In in the moment, that fear of embarrassment can be just as big as other fears. And you're rehearsing yourself. How do I handle this fear, right? The The system producing it in the moment, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You're talking about this thing called the Poe. Yeah. Right. And uh, uh, sometimes it's talked about associated with the metal element a lot, most of the time, but it's also sometimes associated with like the kidney. Yeah. Right. And uh, your physical body, you know, Mm -hmm. and that fear you were talking about earlier, Daniel, just the fear of my losing my physical body, how Mm -hmm. terrifying that is. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often joke that uh, I can shorten up all of my treatments with my patients by telling them uh, (laughs) there's more to you than they think there is, and it's all going to be okay. Yeah, that might be it. That's it. We're done. You can pay on the way out. Bye. (laughs) You know, like. But one needle didn't just say that. (laughs) That's it. But you say it with conviction. You know, people believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and one one last piece, little tidbit that I have floating in my brain from, this is from like junior college communications class. The same part of the brain that stores uh, fear or response to physical pain is the same part of the brain that is uh, has fear for public speaking. So oh, someone's yeah. fear of public speaking is equivalent to the fear of them being beaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which goes to show the depth, you know, of, yeah, of really our does. of our ego's ability to manifest itself. You know. <laughs> yeah, and the power of like rehearsing against those fears. Then, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I love I, that that juice. I love it, man, because it's challenging. It really is very challenging. And for, you know, single people, and I think this is, you know, at least I can only speak from a, you know, a straight man's, you know, viewpoint. Um, But, you know, talking to people who you find attractive, that a big opportunity is to be embarrassed in that someone could, you know, roll their eyes. It could crush your whole sense of who you are. Crush your whole sense of who you are. Fortunately, that never happened to me. So I don't know what that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you talked about in previous episodes, you developed a whole persona about how to handle that, which is a lot I of did. Yeah, 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 I totally did. I had to, because you, know, you, you have to face those fears. You right? got to face those fears. Not everybody's going to feel your style or whatever, or, you know, um, but it definitely makes you more, con- it, it, it gives you that faith. It gives you that knowing that you're going to, you know, be here to do it again another time. Yeah. All right. This is a great episode on this. You know, thanks, yeah. Dan, for sharing. No, no, thank, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for bringing it up. Thanks for doing it. Uh, yeah. And thanks to the Taoists who, Showed us the nine obstacles. <laughs> the first one of nine. Number one of nine. There won't be nine episodes on it, but you know, we'll, <laughs> this one was an important one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Eric, as always, my friend, thank you so much for the, uh, for the conversation. Uh, and to our audience, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for engaging. Please feel free to, uh, obligated, not free, ob- you're obligated <laughs> to, you know, like, comment, subscribe if you're on the YouTube or whatever other platform that you're checking us out uh, via video or audio, or if you're on the Instagram, hit us up, Gin and Tantra Podcast. If you want uh, email, you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, any other word with a C, I don't have any, uh, Gin and Tantra at gmail.com. For Eric, 
This is Daniel. We do appreciate everybody's input and love, and we give it right back to you. Take care. Peace. to get together.